This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. When William Branham copied the works of Clarence Larkin to establish his revelation of the seven church ages, he added Larkin's dispensational theology, added to it these messengers that he claimed to be assigned to each age. This idea, separating the churches into ages, was established by John Darby in the 1800s. Taking the prophecies that John the Revelator wrote to the churches in Asia Minor, and claiming that they were for future generations instead of the churches to which the prophecy was given. In the introduction of the book of Revelation, the opening statement of the scroll is the greeting, very similar to the letters of Paul to the churches of Corinth, uh, to Timothy, Galatia, Rome, and more. The scroll of Revelation was a letter, and it was sent specifically to the seven churches in Asia Minor. John to the seven churches that are in Asia is how it opens. It says, Grace and peace from him who is and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. That's Revelation 1, 4 through 5. In the introduction, John writes that he had a vision of the Son of Man, and his instruction was to send this letter to these churches. Verses 10 through 7, uh, 10 through 11, of also of chapter 1, John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, not ages churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Many who have been influenced by the theology of dispensationalism are not aware that these churches were established at the time the prophecy was written on scrolls and sent. Darby's influence was strengthened by the spread of the Schofield Bible, into the hands of several men who studied Schofield's notes on the book of Revelation. 
Through Cyrus, though Cyrus Schofield's life has been criticized for living a life filled with scandal, theft, and even prison time, his notes have been promoted by many as an accurate authority. And they strongly support this idea of adding the word age to the word of God for the seven churches. The Isle of Patmos is just off the western coast of modern-day Turkey. In the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea were under 300 kilometers inland. While many programmed with this dispensationalist doctrine believe that the age that we're living in is the Laodicean age, the actual letter or scroll was written to Laodicea on the Lycus, better known as the city of Zeus. Laodicea had a very large Jewish community, and the early church had nominated this, this particular city, to be one of the chief seats for the early church. It is believed that this church was established by Epaphras, a Colossian, and is mentioned in the epistle to the Colossians by Paul. Some of the Greek manuscripts end the first epistle to Timothy with these words, written at Laodicea, metropolis of Phrygia, Pacantiana. But taking the work of Schofield, Darby, and others, Branham built upon this idea that the letters were not sent to the cities that John the Revelator addressed in his opening statements. This extra-biblical theology literally ignores the open statements in the chapter, even though the end of the book is very condemning to any who would add to or take away from this book. And Branham did not compare his messengers to actual recorded history. We find huge discrepancies, such as Columba not being alive during his church age. Others fit slightly outside of their age, making several members in the cult following scratch their heads in confusion. But the most interesting character that Branham chose to be a messenger was Irenaeus. Branham called him Irenaeus. Branham appointed Irenaeus to the church of Smyrna, or the age, as he copied from Larkin. Smyrna was a strategic port on the Aegean, Aegean coast, like Ephesus was. Irenaeus was bishop of Lag Lagdunum, which is now Lyons, France, two completely separate places. Irenaeus is best known for his book, Adversus Heresis, or, as we would say in English, against heresies. Ironically, this book denounces several of the doctrines promoted by William Branham that came from Gnostic beliefs. Irenaeus felt that these Gnostic teachings were infecting the church and placed a call to action for the church to stand against heresy. And if you were programmed by the teaching of William Branham, this is not only a book that I recommend for you to read, it is a must-read if you want to understand just how subtle the serpent can be. You'll recognize many of the teachings that Irenaeus condemns, though you won't recognize any of the names. The doctrine is the same, but Irenaeus is condemning the origin of the doctrine mystic gods and demigods. The Gnostic influence had started to distort the entire view of the Godhead, 
taking the early Christian faith and twisting it into something entirely different. Irenaeus knew that this was creating a different Jesus, not the Jesus from the Bible, and that this new and different God that was being created was a false God. This twisting done through integration of false gods and their myths or legends into Christianity. Irenaeus knew that this heresy would eventually distort the word of God into the teachings of pagan gods and goddesses. And he attacks them at their very root, which is Gnosticism. The irony is that his stand for the faith promotes everything that Branham opposes, while Irenaeus promotes unity in the whole body of Christ, Branham promotes division and separation. Irenaeus stands firmly on the triune nature of the Godhead, while Branham waffles back and forth between Trinitarian, dualism, modalism, oneness, and more. Against Heresies is an interesting read because this confusion that is being promoted is the exact same confusion that was starting to infect the church. In the opening statements of the chapter, unity and faith of the church throughout the world. <laughs> That's the title of the chapter. Irenaeus writes this. The church, though dispersed through our whole world, even to the ends of the earth, has received from the apostles and their disciples this faith. She believes in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them, and one Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who became incarnate for our salvation, and in the Holy Spirit, who proclaimed through the prophets the dispensations of God, the advents, the birth of a virgin, and the passion, and the resurrection from the dead, and the ascension into heaven in the flesh of the beloved Christ Jesus our Lord, and his future manifestation from heaven in the glory of God to gather all things in one, and to raise anew all flesh of the human race, in order that to Christ Jesus our Lord and God and Savior and king, according to the will of the invisible Father, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess to him, and that he should execute just judgment towards all, that he may spend sin, spiritual wickedness, and the angels who transgressed and became apostates together with the ungodly and unrighteous and wicked, and profane among men into everlasting fire. But may, in the exercise of his grace, confer immortality on the righteous and holy, and those who have kept his commandments and have persevered in his love, some from the beginning of their Christian course and others from the date of their repentance, may surround them with everlasting glory. That's in the book, Against Heresies. Serpent Seed Doctrine, that Branham tried to reestablish, was condemned as heresy by Irenaeus in chapter 12. The pagan gods were being integrated into the Christian faith. And they were not integrated by name, but by fictional legends and fables. The Gnostic teaching of the birth of good and evil was through 
sexual intercourse between two forces, thus producing a sin child. And I'll read this, but you won't be familiar with many of the names. They're speaking to these Gnostic gods and demigods. But Irenaeus says, but the followers of Ptolemy say that Bythos, which has two consorts, which they also name Diathes, Enoa, and Thelesis, for they affirm he has conceived the thought of producing something, then willed it to that effect. Wherefore, these two affections, or powers, Enoa and Thelesis, having intercourse, as it were, between themselves. The production of Monogeus and Althea took place according to the conjunction. Replace those names with Cain and Abel. These two came forth as types and images of the two affections of the Father, visible representations of those that were invisible. Monogeus or Thelesis and Althea and Enoa, according to the image resulted from Thelesis, was masculine, while that of Enoa was feminine. Thus Thelesis became, as it were, a faculty of Enoa, for Noah continually yearned after offspring, yearning after sex. But she could not of her, herself bring forth that which she desired. But when the power of Thelesis, the faculty of will, came upon her, and he brought forth that which she brooded. This teaching, seemingly harmless, alters the gospel at its beginning. It alters the birth of Christ. When the idea of sexual intercourse is introduced into the Garden of Eden, then the only possible solution for fixing the situation was to deny the birth of Christ into mankind. While the Bible teaches that Christ was fully God and fully man, born through immaculate conception, Gnostics teach that Christ became God later in his life. This denies Christ being the Son of God, which is Antichrist. In the same book, Against Heresies, Irenaeus writes, When the propator came to the thought of producing something, he received the name of the Father. But because what he did produce is true, it was named Althea. Again, when he wished to reveal himself, this was termed Athropos. Finally, he produced those who he had previously thought of. These were named Elxia. Athropos, by speaking, formed Logos. This was the firstborn son. But Zoe followed upon Logos, and thus the first Ogdode was completed. How many of you have, are familiar with the way that these, are be, these Garden of Eden situations are being taught in the churches? If you replace the names, this sounds exactly like what you've been taught. He continues, he says, they have much contention among themselves respecting the Savior. For some maintain that he was formed out of all. Wherefore he was called Edokatos. But the whole Plumora was pleased to him to edify the Father. But others assert that he was produced from those ten aeons who sprung from Logos and Zoe. And on that account he was called Logos and Zoe thus preserving the ancestral names. In other words, the names of these gods. Others, again, affirm that he had his being from the twelve aeons, who were the offsprings of Athropos and Alcasia. And on this account, he acknowledged himself as the son of man as being a descendant of Athropos. 
Others still assert that he was produced by Christ and the Holy Spirit, who were brought forth for the security of the Plumora, that on this account he was called Christ. Thus, deserve, thus preserving the appellation of the Father, by whom he was produced. There are yet others who declare that the, pro the propator of the whole world, Proarch and Proanatos, is called Athropos, and that this is the great and obtruse mystery, namely the power that is above all others and contains in all his embrace, is termed Athropos. Hence does the Savior style himself the Son of Man. He's listed quite a few heresies in there. It's no surprise that William Branham taught the same thing under a different name. He starts, William Branham starts this sentence. Listen to the words. Remember, Jesus was a man. God was in him. That denies the Bible. The Bible says he was fully God, fully man. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word was made manifest and dwelt among us. Branham says, there was a time when the Spirit was leading the Lamb, the Dove. There had to be a conference between the Lamb and the Dove, and they took a place to set it. After supper that night, they crossed over a book, Cedron, or somewhere, and went across the, book into a, the brook into a garden called Gethsemane. They had to have a conference. God and Christ had to talk it over. The Lamb and the Dove sat together. It was the Dove that had to talk to the Lamb, and it was the Lamb's death. Now when they sat by that rock, all the angels came down from heaven to listen in to this conference. Oh, there was Gabriel, Michael, Woodworm, and all the thousands of them sitting around that rock. Also interesting is that William Branham combined two Bible verses to teach his little bride theology, insisting that the scripture can be mixed and blended together to teach an eight-soul doctrine. Branham would often make this statement. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, wherein eight souls were saved, so also shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. He said that in 1965, God of this evil age. This was a combination of Matthew 24, which says, For as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. That was mixed with 1 Peter 3. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited, in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Ironically, this was the exact teaching, one of the teachings, that came into the early church through Gnostic influence. And Irenaeus condemns this doctrine. He says further, they declare that the arrangement had been made with respect to the ark in the deluge by, which, by means of which eight persons were saved and most clearly indicates that the ogdode, which brings salvation, David shows forth the same as holding the eighth place in the point of an age to his brethren. Moreover, that circumcision, which took place on the eighth day, represented the circumcision of ogdode above. In a word, wherever they find the scriptures capable of being referred to the number eight, they declare to fulfill the mystery of Ogdode. Think of that. That one statement, wherever they see the scriptures referring to the number eight. These demons, these Gnostic teachings, 
We're surrounding numbers. How many times have you heard the number five or the number seven? It's exactly what William Branham did. But this teaching specifically is speaking to eight persons. The cult of William Branham will teach you that these seven church age messengers were guideposts, signs pointing the church back into the pathway of the early fathers. Each messenger was provided by God, not as a messenger to the sinners that Christ is offering salvation to, but instead to the little bride for the age. These messengers have one purpose, to show the church that the mysteries that have been hidden through all the ages, what followers do not realize is that this Gnostic faith was a faith based on mystery. What they do not realize is that a road that's filled with guideposts pointing into different directions will not take you to your destination. Even worse, from the messengers chosen, there seems to be only one road sign that is pointing in all different directions. William Branham. Thank you.